guys. Welcome back to Money Fields. My name's Joshua Michael. My best friend in the whole world, Mr. Colin. Colin, they're in the, up? They're in the, uh, yeah, in the Tulsa. You're in the Tulsa, not the OKC. Oh, that's totally true. So, uh, as to continue our conversation that our viewers did not hear from earlier, uh, <laughs> my sister got me hooked on Shit's Creek, and that that oh. show just killed me. Especially because I like to consider myself as an old school Eugene Levy fan. Uh, from me and my sister watching <laughs> Armed Armed and Dangerous like oh. 80 million times on HBO, which that that movie was amazing, and she, she was the the up and coming it girl in in that. And you just Brent mentioned a movie I've never even heard of. Who Meg Ryan? No, that you said it was an irresistible. No, uh, no, no, Inner Space. Your, your, inner Space. Inner Space. Dude, I I'm still flabbergasted. You can't. You, I I don't even remember Meg Ryan in Armed and Dangerous because I remember John Candy and Eugene Levy so well. Um, Meg okay. Debo Debo was in that movie. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> right. Friday. Yeah, Dude, it's so sad that that's that is the name we have for him. Period. Like that's the oh. only name we go by when we think of that guy because that's or his, the president of the whole world in the Fifth Element. <laughs> There's that too. There's that too. He was not President Mountain Dew. Doritos or whatever. That was Terry Crews for all you Terry Crews fans like me. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, Inner Space. Okay, I'm going to tell you what Inner Space is. Dennis Quaid, it was a Martin Short vehicle movie. It was okay. It was back when he was doing, like, because we just talked about, we were making jokes before we started recording, like we were clearing our throats, and then I did a, a gag that um, Chevy Chase did in The Three Amigos. When they were getting ready, they, they were all doing their spell to summon the invisible swordsman or whatever. <laughs> and uh, so we started talking about Martin Short, and I brought up Inner Space. And uh, because I think that, dude, I just, I re, I didn't rediscover it. I watched the shit out of it when I was a kid. And it was on HBO all the time. I, I can see that because you know who I, I watched Minty on YouTube do a 10 things you didn't know about inner space. And after having watched that, now I realize why you may never have heard of it. It was weird marketing. And you were also probably out of the country when it came out. Uh, what year? Uh, I'm going to say 1986, but I'm going to look it up. Okay. The story. Yeah, I, was, I was definitely in, in the UK in, in 1986. In the UK. Okay. Yeah. I was at Lake and Eat there for service. Somebody is texting the crap out of me while I'm trying to do this. Okay, so this is a Joe Dante movie, 1987. Uh, oh, you have me right there. I love Joe oh, Dante. Oh, dude, you got to see it. It's got Dick Miller in it. The go -to. I was literally about to say, was Dick Miller in it? Yeah. Guys God bless his soul. He just uh, passed away in the last couple of years. Okay, this, okay, Inner Space. For anybody who hasn't seen Inner Space, I want to do a poll. Send us an email if you have not seen Inner Space. Send us an email if you have seen Inner Space. Give them the, give them the email. Colin, it was was it Joshua and Colin at Minefields? No, Comics? it's Colin. It's Colin and Josh at Minefields plural. Don't don't type plural. I'm just saying Minefields <laughs> Comicspodcast .com. Okay, so this, it takes place in San Francisco because movies in the '80s take took place outside of LA, and uh, sometimes they were in Chicago. This one was in San Francisco. It's about a oh oh, it's oh Jack and KJ, KJ and Jack in the morning chiming in. <laughs> His two German shepherds over there in Colorado Springs. Okay, it is about a uh, Dennis Quaid is a Navy pilot 
who has a bad reputation, and he's been dating Meg Ryan, who's an investigative journalist for the San Francisco Chronicle or something. Investigatory. Investigatory journalista. And um, <clears throat> he gets drummed out of the surface, more or less, and he starts working on a project to be the pilot of a pod that they are going to miniaturize and insert into a rabbit. Well, on the day that happens, a rival company uh, shows up that wants to steal miniaturization and sell it overseas on the black market. And so the head... To those commie bastards? Oh, it's kind of like that. They're going to sell it to... Oh, they're going to sell it to Robert Picardo of Star Trek Voyager fame, let alone everything else, uh, who plays the cowboy. He's an arms dealer. But um, the head scientist on the project runs away with the syringe that has the miniaturized pod in it that Dennis Quaid is piloting. And he's running through a mall, being chased by an assassin, and he encounters Martin Short's character, who is a total weakling. <laughs> he is a total pussy. He so works at Martin Safeway. Short. He is being pushed around by his boss, pushed around by his girlfriend, non-girlfriend, this girl that he's hooking up with that works there. And, uh... Ah, oh, man, we're having a network connection issue. And then he, uh, he gets shot through the syringe, into the butt of Martin Short. So Dennis Quaid goes through all this crap, trying to connect to his eye and to his ear to be able to talk to him, and hilarity ensues. But So the thing is that he's got to get out of Martin Short's body by, uh, by 9 a.m. the next morning, or he runs out of air. So they have to team up. You got the awesome guy inside the little guy. The little guy has to be awesome. And they go through all this stuff and encounter all the people in their lives and uh, doing it. And um, craziness goes down. They get captured by the bad guys, basically. They get captured by... Uh, um, they get captured by the bad guys. They try to release it from him. And they just... Then they insert another pod. It's rad. All right. I'm going to stop us at seven minutes, five seconds. Hey, we're still going. Just uh, restart. I just went through it. So make a note that we uh, stop recording. I didn't stop us, but make a note that we uh, chill on recording and link up again after seven minutes, five seconds. It's what? Oh, really? <clears throat> Oh, that sucks, dude. I've got only Skype running on my PC, but uh, I'm wondering how much of the internet connection is the could be the problem. But if it is an issue on your end with the computer, then I'm I'm okay with that. I don't know what else I can do there, you know. Did it overheat? Is that what you're saying? No, let me find something to put under my computer real quick. Hold on. Okay. Yeah, we're still recording. I'm just going to let it keep going if, you know, cuz I think that's easier. So, 
answer you on the phone instead of the video, okay? All right, I got you. Can you hear me? Yeah. Awesome. What? Why can't I hear you? Oh, it didn't go. I'm going to call you back. Transmission is coming to you. Yeah, I'm getting the transmission. Hopefully it doesn't mess up again. All right, so. All right, so what are you saying you want me to do? You want me to uh, carry us into it so you can transition back in, right? Yeah, so you just finished talking about the, all right, so Martin Short's a total pussy and. Oh, no, I got through the whole thing. So now you're going to have to wait to get the plot for this sometime other than that. Uh, all right, I'm just going to, I know I know what to do, okay. Oh, who was the bad guy in UHF? Uh, it wasn't Kramer. No, oh, no, 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 not at all. Let me look him up real quick, because then I'll lead in off of that, and that's at least still material. Well, I know that when I was looking up the uh, the IMDb of the movie you're talking about, uh, it had the, the, the bad guy from the Burbs in it. That's what I'm... Oh, yeah, 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 no, he's the Safeway. He's the guy that runs the Safeway. <laughs> uh, Fran Drescher, Victoria Jackson, Kevin McCarthy? I think it was Kevin McCarthy. Yes. Okay, great. I got it. Um, all right, I'm going to do a sound sync clap at 10 minutes and 45 seconds in three, two, one. All I'm saying is that I consider myself a legit OG Eugene Levy fan. Right. Well, unfortunately, he was not in this movie as much as he should have been. Uh, <laughs> he was – God, Eugene Levy is awesome. Um He's got that perfect – he had that perfect 80s, like, Jew for I loved it. He really did. The eyebrows go a really long way. He he played such squares. But I think that he I, – I, dude, I did not I, – I was not coming of age when the American Pie movies came out. I, I actually hate those movies. Oh, I forgot he was – he He's was the Jim's dad. dad. And that's he the was thing. Jim's dad. I think that – I hated those fucking the, movies. The bits and pieces I've seen of them, he's the thing that I like because he's endearing. And uh, he's a heartwarming character. I'm so glad to hear that you like that show, like Shit's Creek. And I'm really appreciative of him as an actor working, being work, like continuing to be a working actor on a project. That, what you said his son uh, developed that, pro, that, that show, right? Yeah, and that's like one of the best parts about it is because it's like little Eugene Levy, who is a solid foot and a half taller than him, with the same brows but like perfectly trimmed because uh, uh, Daniel is out and about, and I, I just it. But it's not a thing, and and just as a writer, I love this show because it's about a utopia that is the best utopia that anyone could possibly imagine uh, when it comes to where to live in a small town. Yeah, there's small town mentality. Like, they go to a party and, like, are you going to hook up with these guys? Like, no, everyone here I already know or know not to go there. And <laughs> uh, it, it's it's like that. However, the no one's shitty to each other in this show. It's, like, it's That's not funny. a big deal that Daniel, like, you know, is getting married to a guy. It, like, it's just, oh, there's his boyfriend. Like, just the same way for the first time ever. 
in my opinion, uh, without even noticing that they would interject this sort of um, non-heteronormative uh, relationship without it being a thing. That's just his boyfriend. Big deal. Like I oh really God, appreciate a, that, yeah. I, like, yeah it's like, that makes me kind of feel like it's worth going back and looking at Northern Exposure again. Do you remember that show? Oh, yeah. I yeah, mean, that was a, that was a frustrating but great show. And I feel like people just let things fly in that in that story, except when you had a guy that was extraordinarily like a rightist, if that's what you can even call that. Uh, but um, I don't know. It comes out of that same time period, I think. Wait, does no, no, no. Shit's Creek is brand new. Northern Exposure is a '90s thing. Yeah, I'm trying to think of heteronormative stuff that opened up and just said like hey we're groundbreaking without even really trying for proposing this concept on a town scale as where the town is a character you the, know? the whole town the whole town is a character and like <clears throat> but you forget it's a character after like the first or second episode because the uh the billboard that says welcome to Shit's creek is uh, a guy bending a woman over uh in <laughs> in a creek and and Eugene has a huge problem with it. And they're like, what, what's the problem? And he's like, it like, no one understands it. Like people come here all the time and take pictures of this. They, they do it just to take pictures. Of it. Yeah. Because it looks like he's fucking that woman in the ass. And, um, <laughs> and, and then when they bring the mayor in, uh, played by Chris Elliott, who he's like, well, that's my great grandfather. That's my grandfather. And he's like, well, it looks like this is happening. And he's like, Oh no, no, no. That's his sister. <laughs> <laughs> and like, <laughs> and he's like, "Great, I'll I'll fix it." Uh, you know, I didn't think about it that way. And and then like, he all he does is po- post a crudely posted sign that says, "Don't worry, that's his sister." <laughs> like, like, like it, like. In what his is he mind, supposed to be doing though? In, in in his mind, it was his grandfather innocently standing behind his uh, <laughs> his his aunt. And uh, who's bending over, like getting some water from the creek? That's all he saw. But he's the the, oh. the he's he's just too close. He's just too oh, close. Oh wow! Yeah, that's awesome. He, he me... just but like they, they actually say that in Canadian TV. Like they they, they say shit, fuck that. Like it, but they don't overuse it. But they they it, it certainly it definitely spikes in your ears when you're watching Canadian television or even British television. Um, Dude. But if, uh, my my point being, it's a it's a phenomenal show. Uh, Daniel Levy um, is doing great works right now. I loved watching him on Ellen a couple of weeks ago. Um, the the guy is just and it's and it's not even like, are you in the shadow of your dad? No, not at all. They're two yeah, different doing people. A whole different thing. A whole different thing. And like, man, can you imagine? We actually, we talked about this a couple of days ago. Can you imagine being such a good writer? Who he's he did a bunch of like indie stuff and um but eventually come up with a great comedy series that you created with your dad. I, I remember, you know, being my dad is my my dad's a good guy, but like you know him and I certainly weren't reading comic books together. Um, <laughs> however, to to create this masterpiece of a television show with your dad and and get to write things for your dad and him vice versa, what a great thing to do. Uh, the thing that I've got that I – I mean obviously I've got – my dad was a judo brown belt and he was a queen scout because he was an English boy scout. So that was the equivalent of being an eagle scout in the U.S. Uh, so we had scouting and we had some martial arts and then we just loved sci-fi stuff together. 
And um, yeah. my That's dad, awesome. my dad read sci-fi novels and anything. He read all kinds of stuff. And so reading became a thing that we shared. And I would start writing and tell him about what I was writing, and he'd just be like, "Yeah." And I'm like, "Dude, can you give me some freaking notes? Give me some feedback." And he's like, "It's good. I don't know. I mean, you seem to be misunderstanding Rouge and Rogue." And I'm like, "Oh, that's just a spelling error." But like, <laughs> I couldn't get him to really go any it's farther. Call a homonym. It would have been awesome to uh, work on a project with him, but uh, he had a whole thing about writing projects. He had a writing project he did for years and years because he always liked those stories about people who were commoners that were suddenly thrust into the uh, the foreground as royalty or the president or um, somebody who probably had no business being the Pope and they get elected to be the Pope or something like that. He loved that kind of story. And from so he had a story from... like that that I've never taken all of his material and read it, but I also don't think I have a computer that can operate on that kind of disk system now. So that's it. <laughs> <iffy. clears throat> anyway. Um, we, should figure, we should figure that out. What, what are they on zip drives? Remember that shit? Yep. They, he had a lot of material on zip drives. And he had a bunch of stuff on the uh, 3x5 cards. Yeah, is that what you call them? The 3x5s? Something like that. They're like square little disks. Yeah, I just remember calling them floppy disks, but it made it didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, they it was were, like they weren't they weren't floppy no more. They were five point five, if I'm not mistaken. But then they got down and they were floppies, but they were smaller. And then we got past that and started using uh, USB drives. Let's see, we're at uh, eighteen minutes and forty five seconds, and about to have another poor connection issue. All right, we'll we're seeming to be okay. So let's carry on. Um. Yeah, but we were talking about movies and stuff like that. We were talking about Meg Ryan, and we were talking about uh, stuff. Is anybody? Is are there any MCU connections in any in Schitt's Creek or anything no. like that? No, no, no. Well, it's gonna like be a that. hard it's, transition. It's 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 <laughs> uh it's basically uh, Maureen O'Hara reprising her role in, from Beetlejuice. She's oh. the eccentric artist actress, except she's an actress in this. Is it Maureen and or is it Kathleen? Maureen. No, really? Kathleen. Yeah, Kathleen. I always get her confused with. Um, oh, there's another lady that got pigeonholed into doing a lot of mom roles at the same time. I don't know. If it comes to me, I'll bring it up. Anyway, uh, yeah, I was looking for a good transition into what we were talking about uh, with the. We uh, can the, just say. We can movie. just say. Let's talk about comics now. Let's talk about comics. And we're going to start. Let's talk about comics. Easily. With uh, Black Widow Prelude, Marvel's Black Widow Prelude, which is an MCU whoa, whoa, hold on. book. Hold on. Sorry. Hold on. Hold on, Easy Jumper. Oh we got a. We got a. We got a. Let me know what we're talking about. We're doing Iron. Uh, this week, uh, oh, we're doing all about it. <clears throat> Iron Man 2020 number one, Ruins of Ravencroft, Sabretooth number one, Hit Girl number twelve, Spawn number three hundred four, Archie number seven ten, Jessica Jones number one, Blind Spot storyline. That is, you can easily find that on the uh, Marvel Universe app. Oh, cool. uh, Ian Fleming's uh, James Bond one and two, and Black Widow Prelude number one limited series. And we're, what are we doing? What are we doing first? Uh, I don't know. I was already pimping Black Widow, so let's push that yeah. one. Let's let's talk about that. It's it's uh, it, it's really simple because it is one of these Prelude books, and I don't. I and I'll get into the credits of this in a second. I don't know if anybody has ever picked up any of these Prelude books, 
but sometimes they are just retelling of an MCU movie so that you can have it to read before you go in and watch the next movie, like Captain America to Captain America Civil War or something like that. They seem like a waste of money most of the time. They kind of, at a certain point, are. They kind of are a waste of money at a certain point. It's... And let me go one further. The, having read the Cobra Kai series that I have, it's two issues out. I mean, it's retelling bits and pieces of the storyline of Johnny and um, uh, and Daniel from the first movie. So it's also not exactly, it's, it's, it's kind of the same issue. The, this issue of uh, like the Black Widow... Every once in a while, you get something interesting in the in these MCU books, the Prelude books. Like Fury's Big Day was fascinating because it was what happened immediately preceding the Avengers from his perspective, or something like that. This one has a little bit more drawn out stuff. So this is a this is a Peter David as the writer, uh, CF Villa, or Via perhaps is the artist. Which um, good job. This looks really crisp. It's very good. Uh, Chris Sotomayor is the colorer, and uh, VC's Travis Lanham is the letterer. Um, This one starts out in the incident in Captain America Winter Soldier with um, Alexander Pierce, Robert Redford's character, giving a little speech about why the Project Insight is going to be such a cool thing. And uh, then, of course, Black Widow breaks out of her disguise and beats him up long enough to disarm him and all of that stuff. Um, So the character she was portraying was Senator or Councilwoman Hawley. So it goes from that thing and then you immediately start seeing scenes depicting that material as footage because Councilwoman Hawley is respecting Black Widow for having saved her life, and she wants to find her in an effort to more or less thank her or put her to work or because she trusts her and stuff like this. And General Ross is there. Uh, John John Hurt? No, no. William Hurt. William Hurt's character. Love that Thaddeus. Love that Thaddeus. Like, for whatever reason, they depicted him in his general's uniform rather than in the suit. Because I feel like by that point, he was no longer uh, part of the military chain of command because he had superseded it into civilian command life. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of little retellings in this of moments from multiple different Black Widow experiences and pieces. But then it cuts back to Councilwoman Hawley talking to Ross and them talking about her uh, upbringing in the Soviet Union. What bothers me about this story, despite the fact that it's got its little... It makes you feel like you know the whole story to a certain degree, is that when it starts talking about Natasha Romanov's life preceding her having joined the Avengers, it really makes it seem like there wasn't all of that much material there. She's born in 1984. She would have been raised in the Soviet Union on the state until 1994 and then it's 2004 so iron man takes place in 2008 so how long could she have possibly been in her professional life as a spy agreed and 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 i I, like i really hope that they're gonna go into or at least start hinting and to give us like 
Because it feels like this is a cash grab slash... Um, oh, the comic this, is. The, 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 this is for people that don't know much about Black Widow, but also want to read comics and have something that they, you know... It's one of those things that, like... You know when you, like someone shows you their comic collection and it's a bunch of crap, but they still love it? Like, it's... Yeah. And I, I feel like it's going to be one of those comics for someone where they really wanted to know about the Black Widow and they get, like, something they cherish is, like, a, a quick annotation of what's going on. However, I really hope they at least give some hints of, like, things like whatever happened that her and Hawkeye don't talk about. No, they're Unless, not doing uh, any of that. I guarantee they're not doing any of that. Damn. If they wanted to be bold, they would do that. What I think the movie is going to do for us is give us a little bit of that. But we haven't seen Jeremy Renner, Hawkeye, in any of the pre uh, preview. There's only one preview. So anyway, right. the, you know, I mean, the problem I have with this is it goes from, hey, here's a cool Black Widow scene in the movie. And now we're talking about how we got to that point. And here's another cool Black Widow scene. And they're all segued together very, very nicely, very well laced. Going into her introduction in Iron Man 2. Yes, it was Iron Man 2. And then... Um, that just, that was it, the best one. I love Iron Man 2. Uh, a lot of people give it a lot of crap because the they thought the villain was weak. But in the end, I was like, no, look. I mean, he's just got this... He's just a guy that you just can't get rid of. Um, in the end, I don't know. I mean, of course, I'm going to read the next one. But uh, that's because I've... I've I've got a huge collection of them, and I kept thinking to myself, before my son was being allowed to watch Marvel movies, I could have given him these to look over as primers, more or less. But, I don't know. I mean, at this point, I'm looking at doing that Taurus thing, and I'm just still getting them because that's what I've been doing. Uh, at a certain point, I'm probably just going to stop. Anyway, what do you got, that's man? That's pretty much why I've still been reading like Kickass or anything with Kickass. It's just like I've just been like, well, I'm this far. I've got literally every issue of Kickass and Hit Girl ever published. Um, I really do regret giving that uh, sketch cover of Kickass number one to a friend as a present for his newborn baby. They framed it, but even then, I'm like, shouldn't have done that. Um, yeah, Hit Girl number twelve. Oh yeah. God, it, this was like really hard to get through, man. Like, I'm not saying the story was bad. The story is actually like, if I was going to make an individual Hit Girl story as a film, yeah. I would pick this story. It, it it was fascinating. The problem was is that it it's based in India. Not that I have a problem with India. In, Indian food is my favorite. Oh, what my I'm God, saying yes. is is that the the artwork was atrocious. Uh, oh, Peter, Peter Milligan wrote this uh, six issue story. Uh, Allison Sampson, artist. I'm sorry, Allison. I just didn't like it. I'm like, uh, I'm hoping that she can, that she's a great artist, but she did it a specific style for this because it was based in India. Uh, but at the same time, though, I got the feeling like you know when you get like an action figure, uh, like a GI Joe action figure. It's 1984, and you buy uh, no. Let's just say you buy a wrestling figure in 1984. You get an LG and uh, Hulk Hogan. Yeah, and then and then you go to the flea market and get the Mexican equivalent. And <laughs> yeah, it, and it's just made out of like harder plastic, and the graphics are awful on the on the blister pack. If, if it even has that, uh, the artwork was just so awful to look at. I mean, 
like there are scenes where you know she'll blow a guy's brains out and it just looks like a scribbled mess and i also is it did rushed not, i don't i don't think this was rushed nothing came off as rushed it just like the color palette alone like a lot of secondary colors it, it just clashed like when, when you look at a page and like okay so that guy in this panel here was a dude two panels ago <laughs> but yeah. now in this panel he looks nothing like that character mm -hmm. and which is like and, and to their defense to allison's defense drawing the same character looking as the same person in different emotions that that's hard that's one of the biggest challenges to a, a comic book artist or an artist in general but uh just to, if you guys haven't caught up yet uh hit girl goes to india she finds out about this like tribe of women that are not really women they're they're trans and they <laughs> they, they 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 live a life as women and they're i don't want to say they're prostitutes because their their services are not really always sex however uh there's also a gang of children of, of broken children in terms of like they're malformed that are beggars that are beggars and they are under the employ of someone uh, a very rich indian almost diplomat has his fingers in everything that considers himself deformed because he's got kind of a baby finger coming out of his hand and that's the only thing and he kidnaps these kids off the streets that are beggars and he breaks them like where he will break their their legs and leave it in a broken uh awful position for it to God. heal that way to heal that way because he is employing this army of mutates what he calls them to make them beautiful and she finds this she finds out about everything and of course she wants to stop it and it's it's in india it's it's there's a guy that's running a podcast that is failing and he used to be a really esteemed journalist and he's trying to have a baby with his wife the whole time and hit girl just pretty much kills all the competition rallies this group of malformed kids to destroy this man keep in mind his his uh malfunction is a, a tiny extra little finger sticking out of one of his pinkies like that's the, like the, the the privilegedness of, of of this rich asshole that breaking limbs burning people with acid uh to make them into works of art to be beggars and make money for him and then of course the podcaster guy that's been helping her a hit girl throughout the entire storyline uh they they mention how he him and his wife can't have kids and Hit Girl shows up to thank him and overhears the entire conversation that his bosses find out that his his wife is actually a man, and he's got to get rid of her if, if he want if he wants his podcast to keep keep succeeding because he just did an entire expose on Hit Girl, and she showed up on the argument when he's spurning the love of his life. Finally, out loud acknowledging that she was born a man. And she blows his fucking brains out. Mm. It, it, like they're like I love these no redemption storylines. Um, but man, the art, man, I, I, I'm I'm so sorry because I can I can tell Allison Sampson put a lot of work into this, but it's just it's just not good art. Yeah. In in my opinion, 
However, I do must preface it, and guys, if you're listening, write in, let us know. Um, if you like the art, tell me why. I change my mind, please, mm. because I, when I go into a comic book or into an art gallery, I'm not walking in ready to hate something. Yeah, I, oh, yeah, for I have, real, man. That's the yeah. Oh, God, I'm glad you said it that way. Uh, yeah, I've got my predispositions of shit I don't like. Like if I walk into a gallery and it's just nothing but like you know, still life. I'm like, okay, this means nothing to me unless your form is different. <laughs> your form is different and, you've, and you made your colors. Like the, the form thing, like it put in perspective, like if, if you're curious why you're looking at a million dollar piece of art and it's just a, a white canvas with a big swath of like <laughs> red on it. It could be you boy with apple. Yeah. You, you don't know why it's important. The form is important. Like that, that, that 80 style where it's, uh, giant eight by 10 canvas and it's uh, just uh, all red but if you pay attention warhol or something uh not warhol really didn't dabble in that sort of thing warhol was more like pop contemporary um it was one of those like okay so warhol was like if you paint the campbell's soup can why is that important because everyone knows it yeah because everyone knows it yeah, because every, everyone knows it. Like, you, you can't get away from that. But if it's finally done in form, in form to break it down, if you're, like, in an art you're, you're in art class and they're breaking down your form, it means, like, your materials, what you use to, to make it, how you use those materials, every the, the construction. And the, those giant swatch of red, but it's on black. And, like, the, the form of that was... A pairing of colors like if you pair these two colors together it tricks your eye into making it look like this they just did it really big yeah. and 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 it it accentuated uh ways to use form in a better way hmm. so but they just did it really big now back to hit girl um it i, I don't know the ethos on this like okay so i would imagine because the stuff like like put it in perspective, like Hollywood versus Bollywood. Okay, it's ridiculous. It's 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 awful. You see, have you seen that? Like the uh, the Bollywood version of Michael Jackson's Thriller or Superman. It's so ridiculous and bad. And in some ways, it's good. The way like when you watch like a B movie, like Return of the Living Dead, um, it's done really badly, but it's supposed to look that way. I'm curious if I'm missing something, and I know that was a long way to get to a short point. I'm curious if I'm <laughs> missing something on this because I don't like it. It just, I, I, it didn't look pretty to me. Not that everything has to be pretty, or I mean, God, I'm fucking hardcore industrial. Like I want the pipes, I want gritty. I, I don't like going to fancy bars or nightclubs. I want the the dive bar. Oh, so, we used to go to a place. Yeah, it's pretty upscale. <clears throat> yeah we went to blue or we went to the blue note you know <laughs> it's yeah, funny yeah, okay see like that that is but, a uh, vast difference look those places up in oklahoma if you guys want to know what we're talking about our, our favorite places so I, I all i'm saying is i didn't like it and i would like for someone to change my mind because i don't no, yeah, like i don't like not liking someone's artwork unless they're doing like landscapes because that to me is just freaking but if you do landscapes, uh, it, I don't consider it art. I consider it more arts and crafts. I mean, like, where's the well, popsicle sticks? I'll tell you, like, 
when I was when I hit up art museums when I was a kid, I was like, this is all lame. But when I got to the something about being a, a, a person who would go to a museum as a teenager or in college, I would be like, okay, here's a bunch of portraits. Who the fu- I don't know who any of these people are. And then you look at it and you're like, wait a minute, why is this fascinating? Because right. they're looking directly at you. And you could see the different, like, you see a portrait painted in, like, 1790, and then you see one that's painted in 1830, and then 1850, and then 1890, and maybe 1910, and you're like, the technology, if you want to call it that, has no, changed no, I, I love completely. It. I love it. I love it. it, what, it, it what are they it using It goes back now? to form. Yeah, it what goes kind back of to paints, form. what kind of brushes? They're doing mm-hmm. different things now. The The concept behind how they're doing it like dude i hated mark bagley in the 90s when i was when i was a kid and i was reading spider-man i was like i don't like this guy and then but like when i started seeing mark bagley doing ultimate spider-man 2000 i was like why is this familiar and why don't i hate it like something about this says you're supposed to hate this but i didn't hate it and then I realized, you know what I don't like? It's that all of these characters' eyes look virtually identical. But then I got over it because I was like, his technique, I realized who it was. I realized what it was that I didn't like about it. And then I realized, but it's better now because the technique is different. Because he I has lo- progressed as an artist. And then, most recently, Spider-Man in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, teens, and 10s, whatever... That was like you saw even more progression, and I loved it. And it's like, dude, I know where you're coming from with that art. Like, it can be really difficult, but I love what you say. You never go into anything like I'm gonna hate this. No, go in expecting 100% awesome, and then let it dial you down and go like, well, I could give or take. You know, I like that you brought up Bagley because that is such a good concept. Because uh, I love him. Man. Bagley, when when you did the Spider-Man series where it was the 60s. 70s, right. 80s, like, I saw how he particularly used his own form, his own uh, style to yeah. progress the story. But then I see what he's doing on Venom right now, and I'm like, God, this is just, like, the artwork he's doing, I'm not sure if he's doing it in his own style or it because it reminds me of all those b comics when a huge event would happen and like yeah alpha uh uncanny x-men uh we're, we're talking uh, let me try, i'm getting scrambled because i'm thinking of like 10 things at once uh age of apocalypse alpha yeah. amazing artwork and then omega was like ugh, and that's what his new stuff on venom reminds me of but then at the same time when i look back at the spider-man series that we're talking about it just progressed throughout the story and it made sense as opposed to how much when I first saw John Romita Jr.'s artwork, I was when he, when he really hit his own on his own style, I was like, this is awful. And then I learned that, no, this is his style. It's great. And then when I got Dazzler number one and he did that comic, but he, he, he can, he can actually, my point of this is he can actually do the contemporary style that'll make you happy. But he doesn't want to. He's, he's an artist. He does his own thing, and that's what makes it great. And also, uh, as another thing, like I remember when uh, the X Files was coming out. Uh, remember, remember, you read Wizard, and X Files number one was always one or two or three for like two years of the most coveted comics. And I, yeah. I got my hands on that, and I'm like, 
like the I get the I get it. it Moran Kim did the the covers of oh my god it was just just phenomenal covers and paintings and you open it up and it's just talking heads and black and white and like this is ugly the, this looks terrible and then when I grew up and learned style and form and realized you no know, the guy's got his own style this is a perfect style this is uniquely him and this should be on the walls in an esteemed gallery the way he uses the way he uses light and dark and and gray and gray washes i mean like the way he used ink and 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 took it to a different level and this is such a an offshoot of me just not liking the artwork in in hit girl but at the same time i still think this should be if they make hit girl movie it should be off this one really okay that's good to know because can can you imagine watching an evil an evil socialite kidnapping kids off the street thinking he's deformed he's got something you wouldn't even notice a tiny baby finger and breaking limbs and making them heal that way so they look broken to make more money it's hideous that, dude it's hideous and 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 I think the, the reason why I think it would be a good hit girl movie is because Hit Girl has always epitomized mindless violence, which sometimes is fun, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just mindless violence for mindless violence, and it's just no, dumb. It's John Wick. Mm. It's not that it's 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 not senseless. She's the best that there is in that reality. She does have characters. a strong will. She does have an unbreakable will. That's for damn sure. But to, but if you want to legitimize it, when she actually finds something worth like, you know, just she blows the head off some guy like stealing someone's purse okay that's one thing but you're trying to infiltrate good point trying to infiltrate a gang she has no limits she's Mm -hmm. gonna she's gonna she's gonna attack you to the nth degree for having the smallest infraction not not to mention that absolutely great point And, Mm. and and also her actual presence trying to make things better and killing the bad guys is making things way worse for everyone she's trying to save. That's interesting. I've never seen that portrayed that way. You know, that's fascinating because they all assume that everybody's lumped together, right? Like what happened to her dad. And that's, yeah, that's crazy. Like how does, how do you tell that story? And big daddy actually appears to her as an apparition, like almost as if she's, obsessed to the point where she's imagining him but he's showing up as almost like a force ghost and giving her sage advice mm. like okay so you're gonna kill that guy well yeah you taught me to do that but but why are you gonna kill that guy what's gonna happen when you kill that guy like yeah. like his his force ghost in a, in a weird way and that's the best way i can put it right now is guiding her to make better decisions and, and evolve as a character so that's that's cool I know how mu- how disappointed like that most recent Hit Girl book w- was to you, right? Yeah, the 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 Kevin Smith one. Now that one was shit. Well, it's Kevin Smith. What am I, what are we gonna do? Yeah, but let's move on. Uh, yeah, let's talk. What do we got next, brother? Um, we're talking about you know like badass agent type characters. I'm gonna go with the uh, the new James Bond book. Um, let me get it here. This is a Dynamite Press book. It is uh, so. I read the nineteen, the nineteen, uh, twenty nineteen. Sorry, I read the twenty nineteen number one, and the newest number two, which is twenty twenty. And uh, 
it's pretty awesome. Like the covers are actually. Let me get the credits here. Uh, it's Vita Ayala and Danny Lore are the writers. Artist is Eric Gap Gapuza. Gapuzer? Gapuster. Gapster? I am so sorry, man. This is the so Gops- we have a hard time uh, with this shit. Is is that a French name? Gopster, maybe? Gopster? G-A-P-S-T-U-R. Yeah. Uh, the colorists, there's two colorists on these on this. Uh Roshan. Oh my god. Yeah, this one's hard. Kurachianil. Kurachianil. Uh, and Rebecca. No, it doesn't help that these that the font that the credits are written in is like war games computer techno font. Uh, it doesn't make it easy to read this. Kirk and Neil. <coughs> Excuse me. Plus, uh, and then Rebecca Nalti also. Uh, letter Ariana. Ma- oh my God, Mar. Jeez, so difficult. So Kim Jong did the uh, covers and. You'll notice that going back and looking at that style to uh, like Young Avengers in the in the uh, what the mid early mid two thousands ish what like twenty oh four or something like that twenty oh three right um right. yeah we saw a lot of his work in Marvel back then but that is not what we have in the actual issues uh, but which isn't to say there's anything negative about it it's it's totally good uh. I gotta say that some of the storytelling gimmicks that they pull in this, especially in the first issue, is rather cool. Uh, you've got characters who are introduced on low dialogue splash pages. That's kind of rad. I mean, that means they're going to be somebody, right? But it's not Obviously. Bond. Bond doesn't actually show up in the first issue until like the last couple of pages. Because the progress of the story is told by two other really intelligent characters and uh they're dealing with an art heist um and it's fascinating because you know you watch all of these james bond movies and you're like oh he's got to tackle the soviets or he's got to tackle specter and then you get you know the collapse of the soviet union round about the time the last soviet union movie that james bond did was with uh timothy dalton who's my favorite bond and i know people hate me for saying that uh, I love Timothy Dalton. Oh, I love Timothy Dalton. Uh, from uh, so it was the uh, the Living Daylights. It's my favorite James Bond movie. So even though I gotta say Casino Royale, better movie, more exciting Bond, different Bond. Casino Royale, it's a killer movie. Skyfall, totally awesome. Nevertheless, my favorite is still the Living Daylights. Uh, I'm a my guy. And then, like, what do you do after the Soviet Union collapses? Well, what do you... I don't know. We're after gangs and drugs now. It's the 90s. So they stuck him... Stuck James Bond dealing with the living daylights. Or, I'm sorry, with the uh, uh, license to kill. (laughs) And that one didn't go over so well. Kind of killed things for a while until they brought Pierce Bronson in. Well, so it's interesting that he's not... Bond is not involved in tackling something so far that we've been able to ascertain... It's on the, like a world domination plot or a, uh, you know, oh, they're going to launch a Polaris missile and blow something up if we don't do something in no time. It's just a standard thing. He's doing an art heist uh, thing here. And he gets pulled in to help these other two. There's a uh, young woman who has a connection to M, uh, who is 
a character in James Bond, if you're not aware. Usually the guy that's giving Bond his assignments. And uh, consequently, they have taken him a new direction and made him a person of color, a black man. So that's kind of rad. Like, I've never seen that before. It would be really cool to see that. In fact, I would not be opposed. All these people who are bitching about the possibility of the next Bond being black, dude, make him an awesome actor and I let's would, see what happens. I've got some feelings on that one. And I, I hate that you see these petitions like mm-hmm. uh, Superman should be black now. Why? Oh, I don't. Okay. Th- there's no reason for that. Yeah, th- but but with Bond, though, that one was special because there was a petition to make Idris Elba Bond. I and would I, buy that. I would buy the living dog shit out of that. That Idris Elba is one of my favorite actors. Luther is one of the best UK BBC shows I've seen. Yep, yep. Um, I love him and everything he's ever done. That guy deserves it. He works his ass off. And he's got the Ghanas. He's got the, the the chops to do it. I'm all about best guy for the job. Well, period. The, to me, I remember when Daniel Craig was coming in as Bond, and I know we're way off topic on the comics, everybody. But um, when the, when that was coming up, and we were t- seeing that it was a relaunch more or less, but we were retaining Judy Dench from Pierce Brosnan days. All I wanted in the world was for them to say James Bond is a code name. For whoever 007 happens to be. And then Perfect it would self. have explained. Yeah, it would have explained away the entire franchise worth of actors perpetrating this character. You are on you are marvelous with that. That that is that is perfect. Dude. Like like the way like the way they did in the A team with with Lynch. Remember the movie? Uh, yes. In, in, the, in, uh-huh. in the in in the TV show, it was General Lynch always trying to go after the A team. But in the movie, Lynch was a, a secret covert CIA title. It was it was it was a rank. You're you're a Lynch. Oh yeah. You're a Lynch. That that makes it perfect. It was it's a simple, perfect, easy solve. The same way I was telling you how they did in the uh, DC universe recently when they revealed that the TV show. Uh, the TV shows for all the because remember we all got kind of butt hurt when they said that when they were doing this huge launch of all these new TV shows Flash, mm-hmm. Green Arrow that they were going to have nothing to do with the the movies. I'm like, well, why not? Marvel's intertwining it just right. But when they in uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths Dude. came out and they were yeah. and, and they brought uh, they brought in movie Flash and like, oh, it's part of the multiverse. You know anything about DC? You know you know there's a multiverse. Perfect explanation. Simple, sweet. Explains everything away. All doubt, anything that would make me hold back from watching it is gone now. And, mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. would, and I would that love would to be, watch that stuff to see these that, intertwined universes. That would be perfect. The way you're just talking about about Bond. You're okay. You're James Bond. Okay, are you James Bond by birth or this is the title? Well, they you are blew now. It. They blew it in Casino Royale, and then they blew it in Skyfall because he's James Bond. But yeah, Ian but Fleming if, always said James Bond is this milk toast guy. He wasn't supposed to be a heartthrob. He was supposed to be somebody who was completely invisible and you would never second guess because he's just nobody, you know? I remember right. them bitching and moaning when Daniel Craig was brought in because they said it's James Bond, not James Blonde. And I said, <laughs> man, Bond fans, some of them can be really, really rankled. But, like, nothing compared to what we've experienced with Trek fans and Star Wars fans. The opportunity yeah. presented itself. They blew that opportunity. Nevertheless, it doesn't kill the franchise. Let me just say about this comic book, it is freaking dense on dialogue. All of these characters are talk, talk, talking all the time. There's, and they're smart. Every character 
good guy, bad guy, we don't know what their thing is guy. Everybody is smart in one way or another. But there are people, they, all, all these guys have some kind of foeboils. Foeboils? Foibles? Foibles. So, so what it comes down to is that they have issues. And, uh, I mean, it's compelling because of that. And then Bond shows up and it's like, okay, well, is he going to... Is he going to be just incredibly badass or what? Let me pull. Let me get my uh, second issue here. One uh, thing I liked about through through flipping through the pages because uh, I didn't read it, but I I've got it. Mm-hmm. Is that the artist took careful careful attention that each like flip through that and yeah. notice that flip through that and every character in every panel is posing. It, yes, that's totally true. It's, he's it's, posing. They're look, voguing. That's comics every... art right there, man. It's it's great. There's there's no wasted moment. They they make it look pretty. I mean, like yeah, people don't look pretty like that all the time. You know, we're not geishas, but I mean, posing it like that. Each character, even when he's like got his head to the wall or looking over while holding a phone, and you see like that that's like a perfect pose. Yeah, I love it. I love what? that. I love that bit of attention. One of my favorite frames or panels, as it were, is in the second issue. Um, Bond and his two cohorts have been playing uh, kind of a friendly game of cards on a train. And they're on their way someplace to go uh, antagonize people and uh, get the blackmail material that they need. And um, the, the uh, what page is it here? There aren't page numbers on any of the pages. I. Uh, there is a there's a panel on the bottom of the page where the two where Bond and our other guy I can't remember his name here. Um, oh, what the frack! And they say it over and over and over again too, so that's frustrating. They're looking across a table, and there's a there's a non colored silhouette of them uh, flanking either side of that panel, and that gives you this between the actor's kind of uh, camera frame. It just frames up neatly. And I've never seen anybody do that before. I don't know. It's, it's just really, really cool. Uh, it's, pleasing. It's, it's pleasing to the eye. That, yeah. that, that's important. That's important. Like when um, it makes your eye read it faster. It makes your eye more engaged. <coughs> Excuse as, me. as opposed to like uh, when you, like you, you, you're looking at like a splash page or even something that's like two double splash page. And uh, you see all this dialogue going, but it's a chore to figure out where your eye should go. Yeah. Yeah, completely. This directed you. It's, yeah, this is great. It directs you right where you need to go. I'm going to say it's on page 11. That's plus or minus credits page. But uh, you can't miss it if you've got the, got the issue. I, you know, and so I also picked up the graphic novel. Or not the graphic. I'm sorry. The trade of the last six issues preceding this and i don't know if it links into this i'm gonna investigate that because i want to read the whole story james bond is a compelling character honestly i don't care who's at performing him i i i could take a woman a woman playing james I, bond i'll buy that yeah or you know they talked about having a spinoff series with jinx halle berry's character from one of the tragically frustrating bond movies and uh i don't know if i would have gone for that but um at the same time, spinoff stories, if you can find a compelling enough other double O character, or Felix Leiter, 
they changed the performer over and over on that. Like Jeffrey Wright playing Felix Leiter, the CIA I love, love Jeffrey agent. Wright. Oh, God, he's incredible. Have you ever seen Ride with the Devil? No. Uh, the, oh. all, the, what always pops up in my mind is Shaft. He was such a great... Yeah, he played Peebles. Peebles? Yeah, pe- uh, Peoples. 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 He was incredible in that. But, dude, Ride with the Devil, 2000, 2001. Before... I wanna... That is a that is a Skeet Ulrich movie, but it's a Tobey Maguire movie before Tobey Maguire was Spider Man, and uh, it's just incredible. That's a really great movie. It's the movie that Jewel was in. I want to get back to what you're talking about, female James Bond. Oh yeah, now, why not? I'll buy it. Uh, I'll buy it, but up until you you literally changed my mind on something like instantly when you brought up if if James Bond and 007 is like you 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 reach the rank. Work your way through uh, MI6 to become 007, and now now your new name is James Bond, whether you're an orphan or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Girl, guy, whatever. I don't give a shit now that you explained it that way. Best man for the job. Before you had said that, I was always thinking, like, female James Bond, why? James Bond is not a chick. Okay, that's fine. But then – like, well, make make a, a female James Bond. It already exists. Modesty Blaze. Uh, oh, great, right. Great, great pulp books from the 60s and 70s. Uh, for anyone that is questioning that this actually exists, go back to Pulp Fiction. Uh, the book that um, uh, John Travolta is reading throughout the whole movie is a Modesty Blaze book. That's the book he was holding <laughs> in his hand when he's taking a shit at the end and uh-huh. finishing up when he when he got shot to death by Butch. That's a Modesty Blaze book. And those books are pulpy and they, they great spy work, but at the same time they can take things to an extreme where you're like, okay, I don't want to see, I don't want to see her being this overly sexual and campy like sixties Batman and then oh, get yeah. serious. It, it, it pinballs back and forth, but it's a lot of fun. If you can ever find a, a paperback modestly Bla- modestly plays book, just grab it. it. It's it's a lot of fun. It'll probably take you a day to read. Not, <laughs> n- not even, but they're a lot of fun. Now, when you pointed out that if it was a rank in regards to parallel to like Lynch and the AT movie, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. that and then but then at the same time I think like okay, everyone wanted a female Doctor Who and that fell that shit the bet. That shit the bet. I'm not sure if it's the writing. I want to say it's the writing, and but I also don't like the actress. I don't think she's doing a good job. Not because she's a, a female Doctor Who. Of course I can believe that he would eventually turn into a woman, but I can also believe it eventually turn into some weird alien malformed thing because that's what, you know, the his... Yeah, why has it got to show up as a human? I don't yeah. know. I'm sorry, folks. As much as I'm... I love Whovians, and I love people who love Doctor Who, but I have hardly seen it to know what the heck's going on there and i think it's really sad yeah that you know the onus of success on the first person to portray a beloved character who is not within the vein of its preceding race and gender types is very very tough it is. It, it it really is because it's it's a it's a whole dialogue. It's a whole discourse. It's a movement. It's all I'm saying is best person for the job. Uh, girl, guy, whatever. I don't I don't give a shit. Best person for the job. I gotta say, I would have taken a spinoff series about Michelle Yeoh's character 
in, oh, in a heartbeat. In, in that, a heartbeat. In that, uh, what was it? What, what Bond movie was that? Uh, she was in Tomorrow Never Dies. Tomorrow Never, Never Dies. Know. Oh, God. She was awesome. Michelle Yeoh is amazing in everything. And she, she just showed up in a Discovery, Star Trek Discovery episode. Of course, she shows up as, she's Captain Giorgio in the first uh, couple of episodes of Discovery. And then she's constantly recurring as the Empress of the Terran Empire for a while. And now she's still showing up in the series pretending she's not the Empress because now she's survived being deposed in the Mirror Universe. And she's uh, she's Michelle, a Section Thirty One agent now. She's amazing. The the, the actress herself. I oh mean, like, God, Michelle uh, Yeoh, totally. She, she was in. I, I loved Memoirs of Geisha. Memoirs of Geisha. Uh, one of my favorite. My name is real quotes was. Uh, did you ever see that movie? My uh, Memoirs of Geisha. That was the worst kung fu movie ever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just stupid joke. But like, damn, she was in. She was in the uh, Police Story slash Super Cop. If you yep. saw it in the states. Yep. Like her jumping a freaking uh, crotch rocket uh, uh, across a moving uh, train. That happened. Oh yeah. <laughs> that, to- yeah. That- totally. That happened. I mean, like, guys... Again, In the can uh, stunts. Totally oh, awesome. Amazing stuff. Man, yeah. I love talking with you about this sort of stuff, man. It's 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 all the best. Oh, but man, let's... yeah, let us know. You guys got anything you want to tell us about these things or what you think is awesome? I'm not going to forget Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, a beautiful movie. Arguably one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. Unfortunately, I haven't seen the sequel. There is a sequel to Crouching Tiger... That came out uh, in the last couple of years. I plan on, and it features her as the protagonist. I don't, I haven't seen it. I don't know where to get it. It can't be that hard. I haven't heard good things. I'd still be willing to check it out. They did a, uh, not to be too crass, but they did a uh, porno parody that, and that movie uh, remember... was a little pornographic. Without it was a sensual movie. Well, they did a porno parody of that where there was a dude flying through the air uh, in the forest doing like 360 splits on this chick, and uh, the money shot was just one of the funniest things I ever saw in my life. <laughs> it, it, it was like a fire hose, and like I remember downloading that in, in my dorm and making everyone watch it because it was just one of the funniest things ever. I mean, there was laser noises and. <laughs> <laughs> Like it was, it was. I wouldn't even call it a porno. It was just, it was just more of like, okay, this this exists and this is hilarious. <laughs> I mean, like they're they are thrusting so hard that they are breaking like evergreen trees like nothing. <laughs> That's and, hilarious. Uh, yo, dude, it was great. It was great. So uh, hopefully, y'all remember that if you're back. Remember downloading shit on LimeWire back in the day in your dorm and getting really- it. Hot yeah. on these uh, on on uh, tough female characters today. <laughs> All right, I want to move on to the ruins of Ravencroft, uh, Sabretooth number one. Right on. Uh, I thought I was gonna hate this comic, man, because <laughs> the, the 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 cover is Sabretooth in Wolverine's original outfit uh, from <laughs> from Hulk one eighty one, but he's got like Wolverine's claws. I'm like, okay, what the hell is this? And it's got to be just a lot of fun just for them to do that. Uh, written by Frank Thierry, uh, artist Angela Unzueta, Unzueta. artists uh, for the flashbacks, uh, Guillermo Sana, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. colorists uh, Rochelle Rosenberg, and letterers VCs Travis Lanham. Mm. Okay, so this, again, uh, ruins of Ravencroft. Ravencroft is the uh, Arkham Asylum of the Marvel Universe. But at the same time, though, you also have to think of how in DC there's obviously Arkham, but within the pages of John Constantine and Hellblazer, there's Ravencrawl. Ravenclaw. No, like, I gotta get, like, Raven, Raven Scar. Sorry for all you people that love Harry Potter. Harry Potter, Ravenclaw, hmm. John Constantine, Raven Scar. And he was locked up there, all that good stuff. Uh, within these pages, uh, Reed Richards has just bought this asylum and all of the <laughs> schema- all of the schematics, all of the schematics, tes- schematics, yes, all schematics. of the uh, uh, heads and jars. Uh, they're walking into a, a giant government-approved uh, mad scientist lab, and the mad scientist is gone, and he's there with Wilson Fisk because he just bought it, and Wilson Fisk is obviously Mary's doing his PR shit, and they're going through. Throughout the lab, there's still bodies in some of the cells that were left there to die, and they come up to a door that's marked unwanted uh, in the same way like you're watching uh, The Walking Dead and, you know, dead inside, don't open, that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, they open it, and all, immediately all these demons and ghouls start coming out through the through the the floor, and they're in a battle, but it immediately switches to the history of the land that Ravencroft uh, is built on. And the many people that have died, Civil War era type things where you see like within the revolution, not Civil War, Revolutionary War, where there's a revolutionary s Captain America doing battle on that ground. And uh, a, a lot of different things like cthulhu S monsters are coming in the sky over this area. I mean, like, it's kind of cursed. And they build this asylum because he's uh, intent on uh, Raven, Mr. Ravencroft is a, determined to build an institution to help people with their mental health. Uh, immediately, you see one of the uh, inmates that's being wheeled in screaming how he's a time traveler sent by Morgan Le Fay. You and I know who Morgan Le Fay is, and he's he's probably yes. from he's probably from the future or the past sent there by Morgan Le Fay, but unfortunately, they took his magical sword away, and he's in a straitjacket. And so it, it, it adds all these nuances that you have to know you just have to know to understand it. Like this, I imagine this comic is going to fly way over a lot of people's heads, um, especially when the uh, main scientist that is helping Mr. Ravencroft is Nathaniel Ellis, uh, also known as um, Mr. Sinister. Ellis, yeah. Ellis, Ennis, whatever. Um, doing terrible experiments on these people, and one of the orderlies is Sabretooth. And... They show Wolverine, who's just been brought in pre-adamantium, and he's just happy to have the runt in his, in his grasp. And they are dissecting him bit by bit. And one of the um, other main scientists happens to be Werewolf and helps out Logan. And it was just a really fun comic book. The artwork had a little bit to be desired. Um, a lot of good light and dark work, by the way. Um, good. Which is very hard to do because you got to always be – absolutely attentive of where the light source is in the room as opposed to most Marvel comics where everything's heavily lit. You don't have to worry about shadows, uh, that sort of thing. Great job with the art. Still a little bit, little bit to be desired, 
but I'm really looking forward to where this comic is going. Uh, this is, in my opinion, this is this is one of those comics that isn't going to have too much of an impact, but it still explains things and it's special to people. The way like like uh, one of the reasons why I even I uh, mentioned to you the other day when we were going through the Marvel app to check out uh, Joseph Michael Linzer's uh, Claws series with the Black Cat with Wolverine. And yeah, it didn't have any impact on anything canon, but it, it was just gorgeous, great story. Why not? That's really all I got on that one, man. Um, <laughs> the, one that, the one that really hit me hard and had so much fun reading this week was Iron Man 2020 number one. It had some definite moments. Let's see here. I mean, I'm struck immediately by the difference of 2020 as we know it versus 2020 as they're portraying it now. Because Arno Stark is a very different character from that original iteration. But um, now let's do the credits on this. And then I also, we definitely have to talk about all of the, uh, like the checklist you're going to have to get to do the entire 2020 thing. Uh, it's Dan Slott and Christos Gage writing. Uh, Pete Woods did the art, it, or is the, did the art on this one. Uh, VCs at Joe Caramagna is the letterer. Uh, Pete Woods did the cover, and there's a load of variant covers. Some of which are a little bit cooler than others, that's for sure. This is the worst Iron Man outfit, costume, armor <laughs> I've ever seen. Giant gears on his shoulders, that just looked retarded. It, it just looks so bad. As pronounced initially, but uh, one, of the co- one of the variant covers has a reproduction of his first appearance when they would do those like and it's not even what they were doing but it's like when you go back and look at like the hey here's a pinup and uh so you can you can actually see this but yeah i know what you're saying it doesn't fit but it was just supposed to be initially like a slight alteration of uh what it was i'm just amazed that we can take all of the stuff that's gone on since civil war ii which was a cash grab just because there was a movie called civil war coming out correct and you can have tony stark essentially dead replicated as an ai in a bio organic body and then him decide He's not the real guy and going away to do his own thing and to let Arno Stark be the Iron Man of 2020 like he is supposed to be, thus creating the uh, or closing the loop. So I think ultimately at the end of the year 2020, Arno is probably going to go away and we're going to get a Tony back, one kind of Tony or another. Right. But, and uh, and t- Tony's lost the time right now. Uh, depends on how far you've read into the current issues yeah. of the Avengers. Um, but then his consciousness has been downloaded into an artificial body, which is an AI, which is running the Mark One. Am I correct on that one? Yeah, that's what we eventually end up with. This this story begins with Arno Stark dreaming about some kind of technovore that is going to come to Earth and take over everything 
And his idea is that he's going to be the best guy uh, to defeat it, the best possible guy to defeat it. And it is his life mission to do this. So I really like his motivation as a character. The thing is, he's trying to get all of this, all of the AI and robots in the world to join him in this as soldiers. Now, he's a heavy-fisted guy. He just shows up and he takes care of business and he's not pleasant about things. He's not a hero. He's not a good guy. Um, skipping over a few things. Yeah, I, get, I dig what you're saying about the costume. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. It's but... so 90s. It's so 90s. <clears throat> oh, it's like late 80s. Go, guys, the thing that we're talking about to compare this to is Iron, is uh, the Iron Man of 2020's first appearance in Machine Man 2020, a four-part book that I absolutely adore. Now, you've got through that, right? You've oh. read that. Oh, I absolutely did. It was great. Machine Man, the problem I have with everything in this entire deal is that machine man is still a character that you can't really take seriously he's a whack job he was pretty silly wasn't he he they've been doing that since he was in warren ellis's next wave in the early 2000s i think they just took it too far warren ellis uh, I, I trust everything he does he was a little over the top in next wave however it wasn't silly to me like like oh like you got to be in the right mood for it like like, okay, do you want to watch The Naked Gun? Uh, no, not right now. I'm not in the mood for The Naked Gun. That's a little too silly. <sighs> I think Machine Man is at his best when he is a character you can take seriously, like in his original run in the 70s. Agreed. Uh, the, the Kirby... Um, oh, I can't think of it. King, Yeah, King Kirby stuff. And... Um, only for the really only for the books that he was writing because after a certain point it's just not the same thing anymore machine man as a character was i think most awesome as someone who was following the formula of the fugitive or the hulk or quantum leap where you have okay. a guy that has amazing powers going from one town to the next solving somebody's little problem and learning something about the human condition and then meandering away onto the next thing, all the while some kind of agency is after him. And that was the thing, is that Sunset Bane was introduced in the later issues as the primary antagonist. I want to capture this guy and utilize what he is to further my company's progress as, a, as an electronics industry or robotics industry. And... Uh, they, I, honestly, I gotta say, Sunset depicted in the most recent Iron Man books has been pretty awesome. They've took it, taken her and made her a very real person. And she and Arno Stark are in cahoots. Um, Love that word. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they have limitless possibilities here. Um, let me flip through a few pages. Like... The problem I have with this entire book is that it can be only taken as seriously as probably Next Wave. Because you've got like censored robots flipping the bird and you've got people cussing at the viewer with the skulls going across the foul language, which was very Next Wave. The depiction of Aaron Stack, Machine Man, is very Next Wave. Um... It's down to the extreme art. 
I, the art, the art in this was great. I loved it. It was good. I I like the fact that the uh, little Herbie esque uh, robot <laughs> yeah. bomb diffuser is welcome in. He's geeking out, just marking out hardcore. <clears throat> like that's uh, this guy. <laughs> like. I like just that. don't get why any robots would have that kind of a personality. It makes sense if you're a true AI. Because the beauty of Machine Man, and we've been talking about Machine Man since we started doing this podcast, is that he is a robot who was who was made self-aware when brought in contact with a monolith from 2001, pretty okay. much. Uh, because there was a tie-in. His first appearance was in the 2001 uh, comics that were based on that that movie, Stanley Kubrick's 2001. And um, I, I'm not entirely accurate there. He was already pretty sentient, and they wanted to see what he would think. But my feel for it has always been that way because I really appreciate what they did in Earth-X because he is the protagonist of Earth-X, having taken the place of the Watcher to encounter uh, everything that's taking place on Earth. So it's such a far, it's such a far distance to fall to be this goofy, out of control character who's just desperate to get Jocasta. Dude, I, I'm I'm actually happy. Yeah. Considering considering our plans, Machine Man. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. Do what you want. Make like keep making it bad. So when we ask for him, you'll be like, "Yeah, screw it, whatever, have it." <laughs> yeah, because if Marvel's good at anything, it's taking what they've been doing for the last five, six years, and just shitting on it and saying, "Hey, whatever." These guys have the reins for that now. Yeah, we, you uh, and I have a very perfectly um, fresh concept for the character let alone several other underutilized Marvel characters, and none of them are going to be named here. Agreed. But uh, this is clearly the beginning of an entire thing that's going to be a year-long multi-title uh, story arc. You're easily going to be able to find them because of the 2020 thing. And um, in the end, unfortunately, I don't think they're going to do anything with the characters, the Midnight Wreckers or... The Vidiots or the Baneys or whatever that you got in Iron Man 2020. I will say they paid attention... I'm sorry, Machine Man 2020. I will say that they paid attention enough to do a variant cover of of Iron Man... Or Tony Stark going to get covered slowly by the Iron Man helmet. As was how the first... How that four-issue story arc was done in covers. Um... I think the thing that I resent most about this is that if you look at the checklist for 2020 books, uh, apparently I'm going to have to, for completionist purposes, buy two copies of Riri Richards' Ironheart 2020. There's 18 comics on this list. It is a staggering list. That's a lot. And they're all issue ones and then issue twos and whatever. I like I Wolverine is on here, so I assume that has something to do because Well, it says I Wolverine and they spotted Albert, the the Android Wolverine. Yeah. In the uh thirteenth floor. Mm -hmm. Um 
So I assume that that would be. I actually was. I actually popped for that because that's one of my actually uh, favorite Wolverine issues. I'm gonna look that up real quick. <laughs> I think it's number Wolverine. It's like seventy. It's like Wolverine series two, like volume two. I think it's like number seventy, like seven or something like that. Uh, where him and the girl. Where is it? It was right after he lost all his adamantium. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. It's not 75. The Iron Man and Arno Stark, or the Tony Stark and Arno Stark timeline in here is very helpful. Oh, dude, I love that they did that. That was mm-hmm. great. Like, just, just help us out, and here you go. Yeah. I like the cover. Let me go through. I'm looking online at the cover gallery uh yeah the iron man 2020 cover that has tony stark being covered fractionally by what looks like it's probably a mark one helmet is uh pretty cool because that like i say pays homage to machine man 2020 and then the one that's that is of machine man 2020 it's not alex ross but it's in the style of an alex ross Re, it's like an attempt to say like this is what Iron Man twenty twenty. This was like a it's a re. It, this pays homage or it's a redo of his original appearance in Machine Man twenty twenty number three. Just real quick, it was uh, Wolverine number eighty four. I'm thinking of. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Albert and that little girl. God, I can't remember her name. I feel like an asshole from that Marine. I read it like eight times. It was like. Something I cherish. I still have it. It's beat to shit, but one of my favorites. Kubert doing the cover. It's just gorgeous. Le- like, Dude, does this... Is this going to be good? Like, across the entire year? <laughs> I don't think it's going to be a year. I think that they've been wrapping stories up really quickly. I bet you most of these are going to come out. I bet you, like, probably eight of these are going to come out this month. Or at least in <laughs> February. Yeah. And... I think I'm going to wrap this up pretty quick because they wrapped up the last one really fast. Um, I don't know if it's going to be good, but I hope it's going to be good. I I had fun reading this. It didn't piss me off. It, like The artwork didn't suck. Uh, it, it did make Machine Man a little bit sillier than I'd want to see, but uh, it's, let's have some fun. That's what we live for, man. Yeah, in the end, it's one of those things where I'm, I feel like we're going to get all these books and read them all and they're going to sit there and I'm going to go, yeah, these are not going to be ones that I want to keep. Like, there I was love a, what they did in the 80s, and that's that. There was something I wanted to bring up with you when it huh? comes to being a comic book fan. Um, yeah, I love comics. Love comics. Oh, you still read? What do you read? Oh, I haven't read in like 10 years. Oh, yeah. Okay, 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 that's fine. That's fine. I'm not shaming these people that have read in 10 years. I'm glad you still like the comics you like. I'm not shaming you. It's just like, in in my opinion, what it's come down to is that comic book fans have turned into three things: the pop culture assholes that have ruined Star Wars, yeah, the the people that m- miss and mourn liking comics and just not really knowing where to start off because it's intimidating to do a comic store, whether or not you're intimidated by the like uh, fucking sarcastic shithead of a comic book guy that might be running the place or. Might be a really nice guy. You never know because things are different now. Um, and then also the people that just don't like to read. Yeah, yeah. It's hard like, to see that since comic books are a really fast read generally. Yeah, it's just it, it's like I just 
they just don't want to read. <laughs> like, okay, like, yeah, of course it's a fast read. It's it's in English. Uh-huh. You just don't like to read? Like, shit, I'm like, that's all we do. <laughs> that's all I, we do. I, I had a buddy that had to get out of it for a while. And he was terrified to pick up another comic because he was like, it's going to take over my whole life again. I understand that. He eventually, I would tell him what was going on in comics, and he was like, oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, really? You know? And then he got back into it, and he was fine. It hasn't killed his budget. It hasn't taken over his whole life. Maybe he's got a stack of stuff he's got to file, you know, or whatever. I can, I can see the fear, especially when I first started uh, playing Magic the Gathering. Uh, oh, I Amanda know. over at me. Amanda over at Muse, she fl- like she's always been happy to take my money. She's always <laughs> been she's been responsible at taking my money. When I first started playing Magic, she was like, "Listen, this is this is not something that you can just walk away from. This is going to be a you're going to spend a lot of money on this. Mm-hmm. It's going to." And I was like, "Yeah, okay, fine. I just want to play." Yeah, wrong. I pro- we you and I literally have thousands of dollars worth of fucking Magic: The Gathering cards. And that's okay, because they're awesome. <laughs> I'm not so sure I've got that much, but I do have a big box full. Considering how much some of our commander decks that we have, um, no, oh, we've yeah, got some. They're good... retailing for now. That's out of yeah, control. We've, we've got some good cards. If I really like got hard up and needed some money, I would just take all my magic cards to the comic book store and then pay my rent for the next three months. Yeah, it's one of those deals where it's just like. You can you can get rid of that stuff and you can get it back. I think. But let's move on, man. Like one yeah. of my favorite things about you is your love of romance comics. I remember when we were at Denver Comic Con <laughs> and you were just you were just drooling over some like '60s romance comics, and I I knew what they were, but I I didn't know you liked them. It was like a whole other side of you. <laughs> it's I got just to know the delicious like expressions and those extreme close-ups of these beautiful women. Like, John Romita Sr. drawing, you know, Mary Jane for the first time. Well, he did exactly the same amazing stuff in all of those Marvel romance books. Uh, yeah, they just go a long way. I'm looking for a couple of Night Nurse issues. I feel like, I think I've got Night Nurse number one, and then I have Night Nurse number three. So I'm missing a two and four. And it's only Didn't a four-part book because it got canned so quickly. But then they decided to re- start doing stuff with the concept of the Night Nurse in the last couple of years. Especially Didn't with the I... Daredevil. Didn't I give you my reprint that came out like ten years ago that had all four? I th- Yeah, yeah, I think so. They did – it wasn't like a Marvel spotlight on or a uh, – uh, or maybe it was – I, I know I've got that thing floating around. It's just, it's not where it I just, live right It now. just came out. Like, like who got the hair up their ass to just pull Night Nurse out of nowhere? I mean, she wasn't even, like, even Rosaria Dawson yet. Or... No, I think that one of the other characters is Christine Palmer, who was uh, r- r- uh, um, in Doctor Strange, the Doctor Strange movie, uh, Rachel McAdams. I, I, I read that she wasn't supposed to be Night Nurse. But they retained the name. And they did so retain the night did, nurse they, was definitely Rosario Dawson from uh, in in action. In action, she was night nurse. But like at they the never same said. time, if you go back to Daredevil comics, Malieve Bendis and Malieve, 
Night Nurse appears in a couple of those and then also appears in Doctor Strange the Oath as being a rather buxom, dark-haired girl. We should do Night Nurse comic. Dude, that would be legit. Super legit. Dude, all right, all right here's what we're going to do. Uh, <laughs> Everybody get ready. I, take a, take, get a pen. You and I always, like, because we're hive mind, mm -hmm. uh, you and I always find girlfriends at the same time. That's uh, fascinating. When when we're happy and we both have girlfriends, let's just take all the fluffy shit that we're feeling and put it into a, <laughs> into, into, a, a into a night nurse romance novel or into romance a, book with with oh Joshua shit Accidentally yoinked the cable again and crashed my system, comma, moments away from rebooting. Still recording. Hey, man. Okay, still recording at an hour, 31 minutes, and let's say I'll do a sound sync clap at an hour, 31 and 20 in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Now, I'm not saying that... It like hard or like it's gonna be a lot of like, you know, porno stuff. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I mean like violence. <laughs> like, yeah. le, like let, let's let's well, have her it would have to on, be. Yeah, let's have her working on some people that have gone through some shit and them are telling the stories. I mean, even if we like took the easy way out and night nurse like doing like a Elvira or up at night or or some sort of anthology thing where she's telling you the stories of oh, the people she yeah. Out. It would be a lot of fun because I would like for you and I to be in a, an overly good headspace to put some good romance out there. Because you and I, we can we can fluff it up when it comes to talking to girls. We're we're good at it. And <laughs> but when we're happy, it's a different story. I would love for us to put like some of the cheesiest stuff we can think of, and then make within the pages of Night Nurse. We have some fun. 
I gotta say, one of my favorite things I ever read was in the J. Michael Straczynski, uh, John Romita Jr. Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man books. There was, and I don't know what issue it was, but there was a tailor. Right. Somebody, I don't remember how this came down, but like there was a, this guy in New York had fixed costumes for superheroes and supervillains his whole career. And, uh, like, there was one where he stitched uh, or he hemmed up Dr. Doom's cape. There was one where he did something for Loki. And then some other people, it was, like, a huge pleasure for him to work on stuff, like Captain America and just whatever. Thor, I think. It was it was a cool little moment. And, I mean... As long as it was fun. Oh, yeah. It was one issue, Spidey dealing with this guy and being, like... You know, no, I'm not going to let anything happen to you. It doesn't matter who you worked for or helped or whatever. But uh, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating story. And we're talking about that street-level type of night nurse stuff. I like the anthology series kind of thing. Uh, that's a good story. Like her telling terrible tales of night nurse or something. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're talking about romance stuff, so I think that was a lead-in to get me into uh, Archie, wasn't it? That was exactly what I was talking about, Archie. <laughs> Okay, so I was wrong about something. Uh, it really felt like Sabrina, the teenage witch, was pissed at Archie and walking away, and they were not going to be an item anymore after 709. In fact, they're still together, which is good. I thought that that was a real hack way to do it, uh, but it left it up in the air. So in issue number 10, or 710, it's a one of four Archie and Katie Keene. Who's another, you know, Archie character. Uh, credit, credit, story by Mariko Tamaki and Kevin Panetta. Uh, art by Laura Braga. Colors by Matt Herms, Herms, sorry. Lettering by Jack Morelli. Well, you've got this business with Jughead being, you know, kind of the town chronicler writing what is it he thinks that's going on in Riverdale. Uh... Archie's getting ready to do a an onstage set somewhere because he's into his music. So he's got Sabrina there with him, like, listening to it. And she's super supportive. Arguably the most solid, best character in this entire thing since I've been reading it, Sabrina. The most down-to-earth person is the one with all the powers that can do wacky crap. <clears throat> well, we're introduced to the concept that everybody is fascinated by this Katie Keene and her sister... Sis Keen, who are Instagram f famous and uh, do all this fashion stuff that everybody's like bowled over about it. And they've moved to Riverdale for some reason. So why? We don't know. Uh, they haven't done anything about it. You think about all of these crazy plots we've been talking about where world crushing stuff is happening. And here we are reading about just like people only remotely caring about total BS, you know? Oh, somebody moved here. It's scandal. Let's get excited about it. Let's talk about it, and let's make a big deal out of it. It's just, it's, this makes sense for any millennial to read and appreciate. So, nevertheless, it's, it is super cute. Uh, I can't help loving the artwork. It is based more or less on the appearances of the actors portraying the characters on the Riverdale TV series, but it is not part of that 
universe, uh, the CW universe. But, um, yeah, the whole thing is, like, built around the concept that Archie did well performing, but Katie Keene and her sister showed up and brought the house down. And so now he's like, well, what am I going to do, you know? I don't know. It's super silly. But at the same time, it's just these characters. You like to see what's going on with them. So you just follow along and see what happens. You keep throwing your, what, four or five bucks at it. Was it worth it, though? Uh, No. This issue Hmm. by itself is not as worth it. But in the scope of it being a four-issue run, yeah, I see how it's going to be. It'll, you know, I can see how it would be worth it in a four-issue run. My beef being the pri- the retail price on when you try to get a graphic novel, or I'm sorry, a trade of these stories, they're they're printing or they're presenting way fewer issues for the price point uh, than you would get like at Marvel, which still it's like. Why are you giving me this four-issue book in a hardback? Because you want to make 30 bucks or something? It's just really frustrating. But, uh, yeah. Not much else to say about it. It's just, it's, I'm going to keep reading them because it is a huge breath of fresh air and, uh, compared to all the other stuff that I've been doing. And I still need to see Riverdale Season 3 and watch the Sabrina TV series. I haven't done it yet. I'm a sucker for white blonde girls. You and me both, brother. <laughs> hmm. Still drinking cold coffee. You got anything I, I else? Won- I wonder if that's why I like Y2J Chris Jericho, my hero, because he does kind of look like a... I mean, if you squint your eyes real hard, he does kind of look like a hot blonde, especially now because he's got those, like, those moves going on. He has some unusual uh, post-middle age man boobs for sure they're very uh, they're, they're unseemly it's not it's not a thing to be it's not rick flair but it's uh definitely like dude you're kind of past your prime the other day i watched a uh his first appearance on wwf uh, versus the rock you mean it doesn't matter what your name is <laughs> yeah yeah dude uh i was watching an interview with him when on uh one of those uh rock dvds uh-huh and uh, they were talking to Y2J, Chris Jericho, my hero, my personal undisputed champion. I should probably not say that because I'm really OCD about it. And I know <laughs> it's hard It's hard for me, just hard for you to hear me say it every time to add an extra, extra sentence to that. Um, he was signing some autographs for some people. And this little kid comes up and little kid asked him what his name was. Like, what's your name? And he's like, my name's Chris. It doesn't matter what your name is. And he's like, <laughs> I, he's like I wanted to kill that little kid, man. <laughs> like, he got me. He got me. Like, because everyone, like, yeah, that happened in his uh, premiere on Raw. But, man, but he had that, that awesome top knot. I told yeah. rock and roll. Rock and roller. Yeah, God, I love the man. I just love the man. I just, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm honestly worried about his health because he, he works out a lot. I mean, he really oh, does yeah. train all the time, but he keeps getting fatter and fatter. And I don't, I don't want that to happen. I don't want him to die. I don't want him to get diabetes. I don't want him to, I don't, I, 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 I 
like I would be devastated if anything happened to the guy. But I mean, like already, some, like he was too drunk to know he left the damn AEW World Title in the goddamn limousine, and then the uh, hubbub got so big <laughs> yeah. that probably the uh, limousine driver realized he'd messed up and just threw it out the window, and someone found it on the damn side of the road. He got lucky. Fifty thousand dollar belt. Like, anyway. Is that the, is that the uh, MSRP on the materials going into developing it, or what? Yes, exactly. Oh, my gosh. Well, what do we got? What do we got? And now we it's got kind of spawn. interesting to think that these guys, you know, we know. I mean, kayfabe, unfortunately, yeah. not being legit. But, you know, carrying that thing around, you're going to let some joker carry it around who is a performer and whatever. I guess they want it, you know, sort of, so... Why not? I think the limo driver just saw it and then realized what was going on. Yeah. And then when a huge investigation got launched, yeah, he, he had some – he was going to deal with some problems. Uh, I want to talk about Spawn. I know you hate Spawn. Guys, minefielders, he – MFers, he <laughs> just has roasted me for liking Spawn the entirety of our relationship. It's It's not <laughs> – it's not that I don't like Spawn. It's that Spawn comes out of a time period in comics that I'm not fond of. The extreme time. Yeah, but Spawn never had variant covers. I mean, granted, there was like this limited black and white one that's worth thousands of dollars of issue one, even despite the fact that Todd said there wouldn't be a, a variant cover of number one. There's a black and white one out there. Um, that And by the way, there's actually... Um, I think it was 88 when Venom came out. There's actually a Chromium variant. Remember the Chromium cards that were all the rage in like the early 90s? Mm, and the, 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 I'm the, stretching. Yeah, I'm not having a good the, time being the, able to do the, it. The, the Chromium covers were, it looked fake metal, but it was plastic. And um, overly painted on the front, uh, yeah. there's there's actually a Chromium variant of uh, Spidey number 300, which is like pretty much the gem of the gems. No when kidding. it comes to yeah, when it comes to to Venom, um, but there's a black and white version of Spawn. We're talking uh, Spawn number three hundred four. Todd McFarlane script. Jason Sean Alexander art. Huh. Todd McFarlane and John Goff <clears throat> plot. Tom Orzazowski lettering. Peter Stegerwald colors, and Francisco Matina did the cover. Great digital art. Um, I'm always happy when they're using the original logo for the for the spawn logo when, on, on the front and obviously being repetitive we're talking repercussions here about he set off the equivalent of an a-bomb with his own powers to destroy everything he could within a certain mile radius but it turns out that he has implanted slivers of his hell spawn costume and a few six unwilling people one of them has already been killed Jessica Priest showed up when uh, she'd just been murdered, and the sliver turned her into the she-spawn, and now they're looking to find the other slivers that he may or may not have accidentally or on purpose did it. There's a few he's, he's unaccounted for. We've got the we've got the agents of heaven, or not even heaven, just figuring out, because the Redeemer went rogue, and they're trying to figure out where Spawn's going to go next. Um what made me happy about this was the fact that the new redeemer is Eddie. Um, I'm going to have to look this up. It was like Eddie was a character back, uh, in the first big run when Capallo really took over back in the nineties. Mm. Uh, spawn 
after the infamous Angela 3 series written by Neil Gaiman, uh, fell out of heaven after, you know, knockdown dragouts. Gabrielle really screwed things up. I mean, it was, it was a great three-part series. It's one of the ones that cost the most when it comes to Spawn, if you can actually find it. Uh, Eddie was uh, an un unwitting character. Now, this was a good issue. Uh, just real quick, um, Jim Downing woke up in 300, and now uh, the reporter that was helping Jim Downing, who's been helping Al Simmons, realizes that Downing is, is alive and well and has some sort of semblance of Spawn still within him. Now, when it comes to Eddie, the new Redeemer, Spawn fell out of heaven on his head, and this little boy found him, Eddie's little brother, and helped him put him on his wagon, wheeled him to his dad's shed, and you see the chains helping him push because the, cha the, the, the symbiote's still alive, but Simmons is completely knocked out. And he shows his older brother, Eddie, and, hey, this is great. Can we keep him? It was, it was a great issue. And it turns out the boy's dad was a – they never said he was a crooked cop. He was just a drunk. Ooh, and yeah. and he, bl he blamed his kids for the death of – or leaving, I can't remember exactly. Was, I think it was leaving of, uh, of their mother and would always really take it out on the little brother. And Spawn overheard this. And it's one of those things we were talking about earlier when you add help when it's not really wanted and yeah, it's wanted, but like supreme violence to just eliminate something only makes things worse. He catches, he catches the little boy being beaten and um, he doesn't save the boy. He just witnesses it. But when the dad comes home drunk, after you see the dad like being the first in church, the last one to leave church, he's the most you know, respectable cop and catches him being a drunk, alcoholic piece of shit, beating his kids up. And Eddie's getting the worst of it this time, even though the little one's getting just hammered and tries to save his brother. And, uh, the little one just getting laid out. So I'm mixing things. The little one's getting laid out and Eddie goes and gets his dad's service piece and blows, his, blows his dad's brains out. Ugh, all right. And, um, the reason that the reason the dad was so mad, he, the, the kids come home and he's broken their favorite things, torn up Eddie's favorite shirt and spawn and tattooed. I beat my kids all over his body and told them when you when you're good, they'll disappear. Hmm. Yeah, just like uh, like I uh, think uh, girl with the dragon tattoo where she like, you know, carves on the rapist. And oh, yeah, the, right. In, in that guy's chest. God, and there's a good show. Yeah, the, the the Swedish the Swedish version of the of the movie, the I one that was see like those two. I'm just not a fan of Numi Rapace. Uh, I, I I like her. I I think I think basically what happened was um, we still don't know if we like uh, Prometheus or not. <laughs> yeah. If I could have I'm one friend of mine who's not my friend anymore come on the show and talk to us about it, I would appreciate that. But I don't know how to talk to that person any longer. It hurts, man. I mean that 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 happens. Nah, it doesn't bother me any longer. I'm still like just killing myself over which issue this was. It wasn't 23. Got like it, it's one of my favorite ones. Um, got really lucky, and uh, my dad was friends with a really nice woman, this older black woman that was in his shop. I think dad was her boss, 
and uh, we became family friends with them. And she knew I like Spawn. And like one day, Robin was like playing like T ball or something like that. And she's like, Hey, I got you some comics. I went and stopped at the store. And um, she hands me uh, 20s era Spawn. She like six of them. And these were expensive. They were already expensive already because they were hard to find. Yeah. And uh, one of them was uh, Spawn uh, getting uh, the next issue after him trying to fix things with Eddie and his, and his brother uh, getting lynched by the KKK. I mean that that like that even the like the the Spawn covers toy is worth a lot of money. Just Spawn being lynched. God, in the I'm, 1920s, are you talking about like 20s in the... 20, the oh, sorry, uh, sorry, sorry. 20s in the... Numeric. Okay, gotcha. God, hmm. was it 26? It had, it had to have been like... Right, keep going, man. It's just like... It's just one of those things that just... They, they, he made this random character to tell a heartfelt story like SVU style, and they brought <laughs> Eddie back like they, they, him and his brother tracked down Spawn in 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 Crime Alley, um, like freaking thirty issues later. Spawn has wants nothing to do with him, man. Like Eddie's like dealing drugs, and now he's uh, the Redeemer. The uh, anti it actually started as anti Spawn, but then they changed it to Redeemer because they didn't think they wanted to piss off Grant Morrison. But that's and by the way. By the way, guys, uh, if you ever stumble upon uh, Spawn number 18 written by Grant Morrison, uh, it doesn't matter what condition it is, buy it. But we've got some good drama, some good, like, hoping for the next year should be good. Uh, Todd's turn, I, I really think Todd's read a lot of Clancy books because he really puts a lot of political intrigue in this sort of thing. Whether or not doing political intrigue with the Russians or or the uh, Ukrainians or the Iranians there it's political intrigue between heaven and hell which can be that a little exhausting moments Linsner can pull that off really really well he really can uh-huh Jay Michael Linsner for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about man I uh I, I feel like I bored you on that one because I know you hate Spawn but oh I found it <laughs> wasn't Spawn about number... boredom it's just like I don't know what I, I'm I, I'm not reading Spawn so I don't know anything about it it's Spawn number 29 that's that's ah, the issue all right what was the Spawn book, what was the Spawn issue that you have a printed letters page letter in it five uh, that that would be Spawn number 99 hmm I uh 99. I, 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 guys, it was a, it was a high school project. It was, it was living in Guam, and my English literature teacher was like, "Hey, write out to your heroes." And I wrote out to like, I wrote out to Carlos Santana, <laughs> Kramer, <laughs> Michael Richards, and yeah, and and Todd McFarlane. I got two responses back. I got a printed letter from Santana's because uh, Supernatural just come out, and um. Unfortunately, he's too busy to respond to this. Here's a, a sticker. Some, but it was official, unofficial Santana paperwork. But what was even better was I got a letter, a couple of months later. Thank you so much for writing to Spawn, uh, Spawning Ground. Uh, Todd very much enjoyed your letter. Uh, please find and close a signed Todd McFarlane postcard, which was a postcard Ooh. for he just bought all of uh, McGuire's uh, home run balls, and like oh, he was wow. 
he was the mystery buyer and he paid millions of dollars for these baseballs and it was he, he took them on tour and the gimmick was was that if you uh let him display the balls uh, these historic home run balls he got to hit, go to batting practice in every single like major league baseball stadium he That's took them in everywhere because uh, Todd actually was um, a minor league baseball player in Canada, well, actually college, sorry, college, and that was his that was his actual dream was to be a baseball player, and that's where that he that was. Uh, you're talking about Todd McFarlane, right? Talking about Todd McFarlane, his actual dream was to be an actual baseball player, and he, I thought he Rob got... Liefeld wanted to do that. No, no, no. Liefeld okay. was the, the Gap Jeans guy. Um, <laughs> uh, Todd wanted to be an actual baseball player. Like he unfortunately got hurt and that's where he actually met his good friend, Al Simmons, who he named after, you know, spawn. And, um, he actually, actually played spawn in full spawn regalia costume at some, uh, uh, mid nineties, uh, comic cons with the spawn mobile, this race car that they like, it was actually a funny car, actually, you know, ones that fold up and it's just like 99% engine. Yeah, the, the, the Spawn Mobile, and that's where he met Al Simmons, the real Al Simmons, uh, who eventually sued him because Todd's not apparently not the best businessman when it comes down to it. From what I hear, I don't care. Todd, I love you. Obviously, I'm not hating on you, but that's what happened, man. Like He just wanted to be a baseball player and got to hit these balls out of the park and had a lot of fun just touring with these balls, but they... They, they they sent me the postcard that you would get if you stood in line, and that's what he would sign. And he oh, signed cool. that for me. Yeah, he signed that for me. And then I've read a I've read all the spawning grounds that were like people said some awful things to him, and he'd always respond very. He wouldn't do it politically. He would be like, "Sorry, I didn't like it." <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, but I I wrote in like, "Listen, what's up with like it takes a year for anything to happen in spawn? I'm surprised you haven't done a." a whole episode, uh, issue where Spawn's on the crapper. And uh, he, <laughs> he, I, I, and I, I was all, and I, I, I was 17. I was, uh, yeah, I was, no, I was 18. And I was all high and mighty English student into existentialism. And like heard this saying, if you really wanted to do something, you would do it. And I said, if you really, you keep complaining that you can't do it. If you really wanted to keep drawing Spawn, which he hadn't done in years, you would actually do it. And he writes in, I pissed this guy off. Like, listen, dude, I got a family. I got a business. <laughs> but he was he was still cordial to me. And uh and uh that was one of the first that's the that was the first comic you ever bought for me. It was like I, I lost my uh spawn ninety nine and you found it in yeah, Tulsa I found somewhere. One somewhere. Yeah. It's in my safe deposit box. Oh, that's nice, man. Yeah, it's in my safe deposit box with the Sandman number one you bought for me. Um mm-hmm. God I love comics. Guys, like Send in your same stories. We'll read whatever you want. Yeah, <laughs> like, let us know about your experiences with comics creators of, you know, artists, writers, letters, whatever you want. Inkers, yeah, what, colorists, editors. One of, the, one of the referees last night, him and I were outside smoking a cigarette, and yeah. we were being nostalgic, and he was mentioning when he first, when he was a kid in the 80s, meeting Hulk Hogan. And he said Hulk Hogan was a shithead to him and slapped the pen out of his hand. <laughs> and, and he's like guess who picked up that pen Roddy Roddy Piper and, no Macho Man Macho Man picked oh, up the pen oh that's awesome Macho Man picked up the pen and was like I'll sign your I'll sign something for you 
like he was like after he he just he the look on this like probably 46 year old uh man's face reminiscing about macho man being the good guy and picking up the pen like i'll sign something for you and i was like well i know you met macho man but i've got almost something as good <laughs> we've got the macho man and he rules <laughs> we're not even that much we love you man like you're the best man like thank you so much for signing something for my, for christmas and the <laughs> aw ticket man uh vic divine you're you're one of the best man i, I keep watching you succeed on on facebook that I was all the, the other comics. half of all of that i got the other yeah half. no no i was you... talking about jessica jones real quick oh absolutely but uh what was the other half though oh i've got the other ticket and i've got another i've got a uh assigned Assign Mach. That's awesome. Glossy as well. That's what Dude, it is. Mach, Mach rules, man. I just wish him the best. Yeah. He's a sweet guy. <laughs> I just I love hanging out with wrestlers. I was explaining to my mom today, like, if you're talking to wrestlers, uh, the word brother is going to be literally every other word. It's it's literally an um or an ah. <laughs> yeah, right. <clears throat> hmm. Tell me about Jessica Jones, man. Like, Whoa, we got all uh, fancy there for a second. Uh, yeah, Jessica Jones. Let's see. Uh, it's a okay. It's a new, new writer. Yeah, it got really trancy. There's a f up in our uh, connection. That's all. I'm gonna take the uh, I'm gonna take the wheel here, and hopefully it clears itself up. Um, easily, what I'm gonna say out of the box about this is the letters page is very important on this book in that uh, the creative team was concerned about taking the mantle of this character in this title because Brian Michael Bendis who developed this character as kind of a, a favorite and pet project no longer works for Marvel and the character stays with Marvel he's gone on to DC so Bendis specifically reached out to uh, our writing team. Let me find that real quick. Um, it's Kelly Thompson. Uh, Mattia De, De Uis, uh is the artist, which, wow, good job. This is crisp. Uh, VC's Corey Pitty is the letterer. And then we have multiple covers, as you would. But because um, it's a number one, the storyline is called Blind Spot, which is kind of awesome because... Yeah, it's like, okay, it makes me want to go back and check to see, I know there's a blind spot character. Does that character have anything to do with this? Uh, or is it just a plot point? Like, something's going to come out of your blind spot and get you. Because, yeah, that's what happens on the last page in this. And I'm not going to tell you all what it is. I think you should just pick this book up. Uh, okay. You know, Jessica Jones is married to Luke Cage, and they have their little girl who is getting older all the time, which is pretty awesome because... It's not going to hopefully be a case of one of these things where the kid never grows up. It's going to be Franklin Richards and Valeria for decades who are going to be stuck as what? How old are they now? 12? We don't know. So the first thing you got to do in any Jessica Jones book is get her separated oh, from Luke. It's been, it's been a while, hasn't it? Like, Oh, yeah. Now our connection is terrible, but we're going to plod ahead. Uh you got to get her away from Luke because Luke is too awesome. He's got a superpower in that his skin is unbreakable and he's super strong. And then 
Jessica's super strong and she could fly, but that's kind of it. And, uh, you know, this is not based around the TV series or anything. So it's just basically it's Jessica Jones doing her thing. She encounters a dead woman in her office and she starts trying to do the right thing immediately, but gets picked up by the cops who are already there. And these are plainclothes guys, so there's definitely a tip. And the thing is, she, she's put in the lockup. She gets checked out by detectives. And then um, she reminisces on she's getting the, Sorry? She's getting the, uh, she's getting the heavy hand on this one. They're, they're running her through the gauntlet. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, she doesn't know why these guys are coming down on her like that. And she has to go back into her old files to try to figure out who this deceased woman was. And um, why her situation might be getting Jessica into trouble now, uh, what she would have been running away from. So there's two or three things to take note of in this book. And one of them is these cool, like, Jess vision type moments where she's checking people out and she's seeing interesting features of who they are, what their expression is, their personality, their clothing – by way of these little snapshots. And so you'll get a big part of a page and you get all these little like Polaroids that. over it. And then it'll say what it is she's noting about each one. So it's very personality driven. She did the same thing when she when she uh, met the girl all those years ago. The one who's dead on the floor. Talking about what her issues are and everything. But then um, <clears throat> the thing that bothers me about this is that Matt Murdock, Daredevil... He shows up and bails or gets her out of there, out of the cops, out of Hawk. And I'm like, dude, we've been reading Daredevil, and he's not a lawyer right now. He's a parole officer at best. He's not even Daredevil. He's like being Daredevil but pretending not to be. So it's like, are you guys just not reading each other's work? Or is this supposed to take place at another point? Like, let's please pay attention to these things. It could have been Foggy coming to rescue her. Who knows? I don't know. I just don't think that that's the most clever thing they could have done since, yeah, Matt Murdock and Jessica Jones are buddies. Nevertheless, uh, we get into this business of how, like I said, her files were destroyed mostly in a fire recently. And then uh, she's able to actually find these, find something on this girl. But before you know it, she gets shot in the head. So we don't know what the heck's going to happen next. Just popped off. Yeah, just she's totally dead, bleeding with a giant hole in her head on the floor. Now, the next issue cover, issue number two, is depicting something that looks like sorcerer supremacy. So I'm going to hope Jessica Jones isn't killed right out of the gate, you know? And, like, maybe she is, but we can bring her back somehow or another. It would only make sense because this is clearly the launching off point for an entire book. Thing is... It'd be interesting for it to be four to six issues where she's dead and astral and trying to figure things out and get back to her body and really like displace her from the streets because I really can't think of her being any way effective unless she's in the streets of Hell's Kitchen. No, I totally agree, but simultaneously put her in a world that she has is totally outside of her wheelhouse. What's she gonna learn? And then is she gonna be able to use that streetwise high high level cred? To do something in another thing. I don't know what they're going to do. I'm just, this is supposition. I would be fascinated if that was the bold direction they went with it. Take Jessica 
out of being able to actually manifest anything and only let her be able to utilize her mind for several issues because that would really, really work. But then you get all the drama of Luke and her baby, whose name I can't remember off the top of my head right now, uh, being unable to see her. And that's high drama. That's a seriously dramatic story right there. High drama. High drama. No, I, 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 I buy it. I, yeah. Dude. But yeah, that letter at the end from Michael Brian Michael Bendis to Kelly is really good. Um, I'm not saying you got to buy it just to read that thing, but if you buy it, go ahead and read that thing because think this is this was his baby, and he can't play anymore. He can't, you know, if he's going to go to DC and sign an exclusivity agreement, he's not going to be able to write Jessica Jones for years and years. So somebody's got to take it up. This is, I think, a worthy a worthy uh, associate. There you have it. That's what I got to say about that. Jessica go- Jessica Jones is going on right now within the pages. God, I was reading it the other day. Like she's uh, that gunslinger comic where she had to summon Miss um, Marvel. Oh, okay. It was like a, a chain of events leading to someone to figure out what was going on for a, a particular murder, trying to get Matt Murdock involved. It was a lot of fun. Man, I love talking to this sort of stuff. This is dangerous. Yeah, this is good. There was a ton of material, guys. Uh, yeah, this is a good one. You know, hey, we pulled about uh, two hours, plus or minus, with some little technical glitches, but these things happen. So, yeah, this is dangerous. Guys, this transmission is over. Lead us out, brother. Yeah, you guys take it easy, and we'll talk to you again soon. And uh, mm, this transmission came to you. Good night. Good night.